Welcome to the Uncomfortable is Okay podcast. I am your host, Chris Desmond. Now, tomorrow marks the one-year birthday of the Uncomfortable is Okay podcast. Yep, it has been a year, which is kind of exciting, actually. Um, So in that time, we've got out 55 different episodes, had 51 absolutely amazing guests who have helped me explore the topic of getting uncomfortable. Um, I've learned a whole lot from them. Um, Hopefully I've been able to engage them in some reasonably stimulating conversation as well so that they've enjoyed their time on the show too. Um, I know at least a couple of people have, uh, Richard McChesney and Alex Asher who have come back for a second time around. I want to thank all of you guys as well for tuning in, whether this is your first episode or you've gone through and listened to all 55 of them. Um, It's been really cool to see uh, people, people listening from basically all over the world, which has been, yeah, really, really wicked. Uh, Thank you for the people that have given me some feedback or left a comment. Um, It's, it's all been helpful stuff. And thanks of uh, those of you that have left a review on iTunes and for those people that have shared out the show as well. So this show is all about your comfort zone and getting getting outside of it and getting into that uh, that uncomfortable area. And over the course of the last year, that's been something that I've really found as well producing creating uh getting guests i've run into some interesting challenges uh, some of which have been enjoyable and some of which have been pretty frustrating but the experience over the last year i've definitely found that my own comfort zone has grown uh, which is fantastic and kind of the idea of the show so I hope listening to some of these people's stories has helped you guys as well. So for episode 55 today, we've got a pretty cool episode in store for you. Uh, I managed to catch up with uh, Jack Candlish from Organic Dynamic uh, the other weekend. So Organic Dynamic um, exists to offer New Zealand surfers environmentally friendly surfboard options. So they take 100% locally recycled EPS foam and combine it with locally grown timber to produce boards and blanks for the local surfers and shapers. And now Jack was kind enough to let me into his workshop, show me around, uh, make me a fantastic flat white, let me play with his dog um, and sit down and, and have a conversation with him for about an hour. So Jack tells us today uh, about going from planning to finish his university degree. Uh, he's, he was one paper shy uh, to still not quite being there seven years later. He talks about building the beginnings of a business uh, from his parents' garage. We discuss the concept of trying out a whole lot of different things to figure out what he was into. And he tells us the story of the 12 different iterations of surfboard designs that he tried within the first 18 months before he got something that he he felt was really, really good. So Jack has some really interesting insights today. Um, I really enjoyed his one about coupling the advice that you're given with the experience that you have. Uh, in order to proceed. He talks about training your brain to think quickly, build resilience, uh, and talks a bit about the experiences that have shaped him doing that. And he also tells us how organic dynamic and what he's doing now calls on all the experience that he's had in his life and it's it's really pulling everything in there together um, in a kind of a really sort of slumdog millionaire type scenario. So I had a great time with, with Jack. It was very, very enjoyable as I say. Now, 
there's a little bit less preamble uh, in mine and Jack's conversation. Uh, Jack basically just jumps straight into his backstory uh, without any questioning from me uh, and, and just talks, which is fantastic. So again, guys, happy birthday to the podcast. Thanks for tuning in for this birthday episode. And thank you all for getting uncomfortable with me and Jack today. So um, I've always been keen, I've always enjoyed making things. And I was, even when I was a child, you know, five, six years old, I was always out in the garden making things out of whatever tools and materials I could get my hands on, uh, whether it be like go-karts or tree huts and the likes. And then so um, went through school and, uni- and college and um, ended up at university studying industrial design, which seemed appropriate for me and quite a hands-on uh, degree. Um, and then in my final year of uh of the degree, I actually um, failed a paper, and uh, I, it was one of the papers, like a core paper, and I couldn't go back and sit it over the summer. I had to wait like ten months and go back and sit it in the second semester of the following year if I wanted oh, no. to get my degree. Yeah. So I had I had aspirations of traveling and, and um, maybe going to England, which is where I was born, uh, and working over there as a junior industrial designer and, and the likes. But then I got kind of stuck in Wellington based on that. Uh, one paper that I had to go and finish. And I thought about applying for jobs here and on the premise that, you know, I'd have to take the time off in, in 10 months time to go and finish that paper. But I thought, oh, you only really get one shot with these companies, these companies and you don't really want to, and there's only so many companies in New Zealand that were, uh, were employing industrial designers. So you don't really want to go in there and be like, oh, I've almost got a degree. You know, <laughs> felt like it would be a bit silly. So that I thought what I'd do is I'd just buy my time and just do some bits and pieces around the place and, Go back and finish it, and then start off from there. So, I was um, I got some building work and started painting this house, and then um, I was working in the bar as well, and uh, making okay money. But like I was just losing my mind. Um, the work I was doing was so boring in comparison to what I was studying at uni, um, and I just started going crazy. So then I thought, oh, okay, well I'll I'll um, start buying some tools and put them in my parents' garage and just start tinkering in my spare time and making things. Uh, out of whatever, you know, timber and, and the likes. And so I bought a couple of basic tools and set up a l- little workshop in my parents' garage, uh, which they had sort of at the time no idea about. It just sort of all happened organically. Yeah, you and, didn't ask. <laughs> didn't you ask. Just, me, it, yeah. just did it. And then, uh, next thing I know, like the, the bar that I was working for was ordering things and then the, his friends were ordering things from me. And I sort of had this little, um, this little business going on, making stuff for bars out of, uh, yeah, timber, and I had a vinyl cutter at the time, so I was doing lots of sign writing stuff as yeah. well. This is before you'd gone it's, back to and done the Yeah, it was a seven paper? year. Well, no, I still haven't done that. Um, okay. <laughs> this is okay. seven years ago now. Um, yeah. So I'm almost 30, and this was yeah when I was about 22, I guess. Yeah. Um, and then so before I knew it, I kind of had this little business going on, and I was like, okay, well, um, the time came around when I, I was due to go back to university, but I had so much work, I couldn't, you know, figure out how I could do both so I thought oh no I'll put it off for another year and I'll um, keep doing this and then I um, built up this little this little joinery shop and um, started hiring people and took a um, lease the workshop in the hut and just started this was making things for hospitality industry for a long time really and that was really good however um, the kind of uh, uncertainty and the, the variation of the work everything was always very um, uh, I'd say really urgent or we haven't done this before. Is it going to be all right? Or there's lots of um, guessing and, and uh, procrastinating, trying to figure out how to make things, and um, always trying to figure out what materials were available. And just just the stress got to me after a while. I think I was okay when I, when I was younger doing it, and then um, as I started to get a little bit uh, older, it just the stress just started to kill, to kill me. And, uh, and I was like, okay, well, I, I really like making things. I just don't like making different things every day. I just want to make 
um, one thing really, really well and do it over and over again. Um, and then, so I started, um, trying to, uh, you know, design some products and the likes. And then a friend got me, I was, when I was younger, when I was, um, sort of growing up, I was always in the water on family holidays and did a lot of surfing and bodyboarding and the, and the likes. And then when I went to university and, um, I essentially, I guess I outgrew my wetsuit when I was about 16 and didn't go into the sea because it's so cold here for <laughs> a good five or six years. And then, uh, friend got me back into surfing and lent me a wetsuit and a board and we went out and I just fell in love with the ocean again. So I was like, okay, cool. And, you know, I'll, um, I'll start surfing. This was maybe, um, four, four years ago now. And then, um, so I was like, okay, cool. I need to buy a board. Looked at the prices of boards and they were pretty expensive. Um, I think I started, I bought a couple of secondhand ones off Trade Me and, uh, but I kept breaking them really, really fast. So I'd often like I'd, I'd buy a board and, and break it in a month, you know, either fully cracking it in half or just a big dent, which would mean that I'd have to go and spend a, a few couple of days fixing it. And, um, that kind of got frustrating. And then it wasn't really until I started like buying the materials that I needed to buy to fix these boards that I realized how toxic surfboard production was. And so I had that the big journey workshop. I wanted a surfboard, uh, and, um, I wanted surfboards and I, uh, didn't want the ones that you could buy off the shelf. Um, so then I thought, oh, well, I'll just make my own. And then, so I, uh, did some research online and, and learned that the original surfboards were made entirely out of timber before, um, like pre 1950s when, um, polystyrene was invented, everything was made out of wood. So I thought, okay, that's an interesting, I wonder if, um, you know, I wonder how they go. So I made a, a hollow wooden surfboard on the laser cutter, um, using some plywoods and glued them all together with a load of clamps. And the first board I made was, was pretty terrible. It was quite heavy and it was like, uh, the shape wasn't, wasn't good. Um, but I sort of surfed it for a bit and, um, thought, oh yeah, this was, that was a, you know, a fun project. The board's really strong. Um, I wonder if I can, um, improve on those elements that were lacking. And then I just sort of got obsessed. And, uh, over the course of about a year, I probably made about a dozen boards in my spare time, just constantly reiterating and trying to figure out how to make them stronger or lighter or, um, and improve the flex patterns. And then, uh, after sort of, um, experimenting and, tinkering i guess for 18 months i got um a phone call from this guy called tom raybone uh who was organizing a business incubator program for manufacturing companies in wellington and it was um basically a, a three-month program they you, you get uh they buy a um, share of your company for a, a, a decent amount of money and you hit three months to work on your business model and develop your product a little bit further and, and try and figure out if you can um turn this thing into a full-time business or uh, raise investment to develop the product to the, you know, market sort of, um, get it to like, you know, a credible marketable product. Um, so I just jumped at the chance of doing that and spent three months out in the hut working on the, on the surfboards and, um, made some prototypes, toured around New Zealand, testing them out with surfers all around the North Island. And, uh, just had a really good time and really good, got some really good positive feedback. And then, um, Toward the end of that program, I was thinking, okay, this is what I want to do. This is, you know, this is the product that I want to make. And, um, if I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it in such a way where, um, there's no toxic materials involved. You know, I want to make, I want to make a surfboard that is, performs as well as its, um, to- you know, toxic counterpart, but is made from either recycled or organic renewable materials. Awesome. And mate, I'm going to stop you at that oh, point sorry. there. No, no, mate, that's, that's, that's fantastic. I think with, with that, I really want to jump into, into that and the kind of the, the sustainability uh, and the environmental nature of your board. But there's yep. just so much there that you've just said that actually I think we want to jump into okay, a cool. little bit, yeah, a little back, bit deeper can actually. Cut back into yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so, I mean, the, the first bit for me, I think it was when you, you just kind of started started making stuff and started doing something that you were you were interested in while you were basically working jobs that sucked your soul. Yeah, pretty much. And that kind of then evolved into a business for you, which is is actually pretty interesting. That wasn't what you obviously what you'd set out to do. Um, was there kind of a de- definitive point that 
uh, it became a business or was it kind of a yeah. slow evolution? No, there was definitely a point and that was when I signed the lease from my, my little commercial space out in the hut. So yeah. I did a, I got asked to do some sign running for these guys out in um, Corner Street, which is just by Orich Aluminium. Went out there and um, and did the job and uh, at the time I was doing all my vinyl cutting in my bedroom and I didn't really have the space to, to do it properly. And um, I was sort of telling the guys, you know, about it when I was doing the vehicle signage. And um, and they were like, oh, why don't you, um, you know, lease some space of us? We've got a whole upstairs mezzanine that we don't use. So I had a look and I was like, oh, that sounds cool. Yep, I'll be keen for that. And then just kind of jumped into it. It was just a casual agreement and I thought, you know, give it a go. But then as soon as you have those consistent outgoings, you know, not that it was a lot of money. It was only mm. 150 bucks a week or something. Um, but as soon as you have that, you know, money going out, it's like, okay, need to start, um, getting money in. To- yeah. Did that, that kind of shift your mindset and shift your focus? Yeah, at definitely. That point in time. Yeah. 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 And I think, and retrospectively, like I probably would have, um, rather tried to figure out how I could have made it work longer without having the overheads. Not that they were, you know, a, a drain financially, but, um, it's as soon as you get into that pos- position where you've got those outgoings, it's like you mentally, you're, you know, the clock's ticking, clock's ticking yeah. you know, yeah. and, uh, yeah, that's when it starts to go from being a passion project to being like a, mm, yeah. You know, a and that wasn't something that you'd planned for prior to no. it actually happening. It just kind of happened and you thought, Oh, bloody hell. I'd yeah. Better, uh, yeah. Well, I was the whole time I was planning on just, um, killing time really until I finished my degree and then I was going to do, you know, then the world was going to be my oyster. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a joke. <laughs> um, but then obviously you, you, you figured out how to do it and how to kind of get it, get it going. Yeah. Um, but then kind of got to, got to a point where that was, that was quite stressful for you as well in terms of the, uh, kind of pressure from the people that you were, you would be making things for. Um, but also the variability in it as well. Um, yeah. Is that something that you have found challenging uh, kind of through your life is that the variability well, of things? Yeah, I think um, I think the problem with uh, the, the type of work that we do is that uh, because, you, because everything's so varied, you need a whole lot of tools mm-hmm. and tools take up space. Yeah. So when you've got a whole lot of these tools to do all these different things, then you need a, a big workshop and a big, and space costs money, you know? Yeah. And then, then you've got this big workshop, you've got all these tools and then, but you've only, you know, one man. And so there's no, there's, you know, you, you're not capable of earning enough money by yourself, uh, to pay for the space that you're putting your tools on. Yeah. So then you start employing people and then, um, that's when things start to get, you know, full on and busy. And if you've, if you've got your systems in place and you've got, you know, a constant workflow coming through, then, um, people, you know, you can do, you can do really well. But, um, because we sort of pr- pride ourselves on, um, tailoring everything to people's needs and doing things completely custom, uh, which they love, you know, that's what people mm. really like when you can take an idea of theirs and turn it into something, um, just, you know, awesome. Um, that's, that's great. But it, from the, on the other side of things, it can be quite st- stressful for the people who are, producing it and i um i would quite happily keep doing it i definitely want to have a go at making you know building a brand Mm. making a product and then um the idea will be to get to the point where i come in every day and it's just like there's my my orders and i follow a process i can start to minimalize my supplier so at the moment i i buy my all my materials from four different people instead of previously it was like 20 30 different companies um and then you can start to automate a lot of your processes and you can start to invest in um you know really good quality tools to doing that one specific task because mm. you know that you'll be able to do, you'll be doing it over and over again yeah and is this kind of a this is an approach that you've sort of adopted by going through and kind of living this experience that you've had yeah i don't like think if it, you did this if you had this idea say 5 years ago do you think that you would have uh been able to do it as effectively as you as you're doing it now no i think the good thing about doing the variety stuff is it gets you thinking on your, on your toes. Mm-hmm. So it, it, you can't, it, your brain's 
tr- you're training your, what you're doing when you're um, rushing around like a mad thing, doing a whole lot of different things at once is you're training your brain to think on your, think on its feet and to adapt and figure out problems. And, and um, like timber is not an easy material to work with. It's, you know, every piece is different and you've got, you've really got to um, know the, pe- the piece of timber you're working with to, to get the results that you want, whether that be, you know, what machine you put it through or, how, what sandpaper yield, all sorts of variables. So doing all that work that I did previously um, taught me heaps, you know, and, and it's made me, um, yeah, made me able, got me, taught me the skills I needed to be able to do what I'm doing with the surfboards now. Um, but I would have loved to have just imparted that knowledge from somewhere <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, go straight yeah. into doing the surfboards. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes it's a... <laughs> Hindsight's a wonderful thing, eh? and you always kind of think, "Hey, I, I wish there was someone else to to teach me this stuff, so I didn't have to go through and make all the mistakes that, exactly. I've, that I've made." But I mean, sometimes I think going through and making those mistakes is just incredibly valuable in that you have that you have that firsthand experience, and it's just solidified so much more for you than say yeah. if someone else had had told you, "Hey, this is how you this yeah. is how you do it," and I mean, there's pros and pros and cons for both. Yeah, obviously, but I think you've. It, it sounds like you've learned some some valuable skills. Um, yeah. Well, I think the problem, the interesting part is like if you ask advice from someone, let's say who is fifty, uh, you ask them some advice about can I make this, can I do this, they they might tell you no, but there might be some technology that you know about that they don't know about. Mm. That means that you can actually do it. You know, so um, I think as the risk of um, the risk of playing it safe and, and taking everyone's ad- advice is that the people that are given the advice might not know their, the stuff that they learned is, might not be relevant to what's mm, actually mm. Um, available today. Yeah. I mean, everyone gives advice from kind of their own personal experience and the, the environment that they've been operating in. So they come, they come at things with their own, their own biases. Exactly. Um, and their own, their own knowledge. Whereas you come at things from, your your background, kind of the the things that you know, um, and you're going to know you're going to know different things to to what they will. Um, so I think it's I mean it's great to be able to sort of take parts of advice from people yeah. that have experience in this area, and then couple that with with the stuff that you know as well, and just it's always a bit of a challenge, kind of applying it through a filter to kind of figure out, hey, what's what's going to be the best way forward? And, exactly. and often it is a it's a matter of experience and kind of trial and error yeah. with this stuff, which is, I mean, it, it sounds kind of like what you've, yeah. the process you've been working through it, with it. Exactly. And I think what the, the key is try and figure out how that can be a fun process for you. And I think for me, like to make, um, like R&D, I guess is the technical term, to make R&D fun, you have to have, yeah, it has to be fast. Like, you, there's no point sitting around thinking about it for ages and then, um, you know, like thinking, trying to think through every single possible thing that could go wrong. Um, and, and then like being, con- waiting until you're convinced that you've got it a hundred percent right before you do it, because then you've, your expectations are going to be high and the results, are, chances are going to be, you know, not going to meet those expectations. Mm. So I work fast and I just go, okay, I think I'll try this. And usually I will learn what I thought I would learn, but I'll also learn a whole lot of things that I didn't even think about, you know, didn't even consider, especially when making these, I mean, these boards are a prime example. They're so like turning straight pieces of timber into curvaceous objects that have, um, handle the amount of abuse that they get in the waters. Um, there's so many factors to consider. And I, everyone, everyone that I've learned, everything I've learned has been through firsthand experience, you know, and that kind of take a board out, ruin it, you know, <laughs> go yeah. back in. I've got a, under our house at home is about a dozen. Just a surfboard graveyard. Yeah. 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 They're all, um, a lot of them are actually still surfable. A lot of them are just like sitting there waiting for some, you know, I don't know, yeah. maybe an ornament. I'll use them. Yeah. Maybe a surfboard retirement home rather than <laughs> yeah. a surfboard graveyard. Yeah. Uh, awesome. Um, I, I love the, I love your, your viewpoint there about kind of doing things that are, that are fun and doing things that are enjoyable as well. And I mean, it, it sounds like kind of that was the, that was the driver for just getting involved with, with looking at the surfboards. Yeah. You wanted a, yeah, you wanted a product that you could kind of do consistently and kind of follow through with the process. But 
also it was something that was really interesting to yeah. you and kind of really practical to, to what you were doing and I think, and I got to test them. And you got to test them, yeah, <laughs> starting starting out with, with stuff that, I mean, isn't immediately kind of financially viable. Yeah. It's so important to, to have that passion for it as well or that, that curiosity and excitement. Um, yeah. Because if you don't have that, then pretty soon that's that's going to fall away. Yeah. Um, but you went, you went out, you did the, uh, you did the incubator, kind of got the, got the ball rolling with, uh, kind of the, the idea, the concept and, and looking to produce the, uh, produce the boards. Do you want to tell us actually a little bit about the, about the boards now, um, and kind of what the, the, the concept for kind of organic dynamic? Yeah, sure. So, um, so basically conventional surfboards are produced out of polyurethane foam, uh, fiberglass, and polyester resin. Uh, they use a high-density foam, um, which is easy to shape, and then they wrap it with the fiberglass and the, the, um, the polyester resin to make it like, give it a hard outer shell. Uh, the problem with uh, that pr- sort of manufacturing process is that, um, for starters, the, all the materials are, are toxic um, and non-recyclable. So they... Uh, you know, they, when they when they uh, deemed redundant, they end up in landfill. Um, and the the foam is uh, like a soft material, so it takes uh, dents and it it, it uh, gets lots of wear and tear, which weakens the overall uh, structural integrity of the board. And then when these boards are exposed to large, heavy breaking waves, they're inclined to snap, and um, at which point they're sort of deemed useless. And then they don't have any, you know, second life or, or anything. Um, with the, uh, I mean, with the toxic effects of them after the after they're no longer usable, kind of what sort of do you, what sort of impacts do they have well, environmentally? They, they say that an average surfboard weighing three kgs will produce three hundred carbon, uh, three hundred kilograms of carbon dioxide in its lifetime, from um, production of the materials to the manufacturing process uh, to in use and then end, end of life. So really bad. So I, when I, and during the Lightning Lab program, um, that's when I did all the research to try to figure out, hey, what, how, how bad is this industry? And I found all the people around the world who were trying to, um, figure out how to, how to change it. And, um, so I, I set out to basically just try and, well, the, the goal was actually to just try and make a surfboard that not only, um, was, um, like, wasn't bad for the environment, but it actually solved some environmental issues mm. because um, inherently surfers are like really invested in the natural integrity of the environment. You know, if any any um, degree of climate change, what sea would arise, the brakes stop working, uh, any toxins getting into the ocean, you can't surf. So um, it's in their best interest to you know buy boards that are good for the environment. So I started looking around, and initially I was working with the all wood construction, and then I. Tr- struggled to get the strength and the weight I wanted out of that. So I started looking at um, trying to divert waste polystyrene from landfill and use that in my boards. And I was fortunate enough to meet um, Richard Moore up at Poly Palace in Porora. So he takes, he goes around and collects all these um, fish bins from the fish, like the fish restaurants around Wellington, mulches all the polystyrene down and remolds it into these big blocks. And then I buy that of him. And that produces the core of my surfboards. Other, um, he also supplies like road, roading projects with the, with the polystyrene. And it's just an initiative. His, his goal is to try and divert all, I mean, it's still a perfectly usable material. Um, even though it's not, you know, aesthetically pleasing, it's, um, the, the, uh, structural, um, integrity of it is still as good as virgin. His goal is to try and find other uses for this waste material and get it away from the landfill because it fills up the landfill so fast. And it doesn't, it never biodegrades. So yeah. it just sits there and, um, it gets smaller and blows around and ends up in animals and yeah. seabirds and probably us eventually. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So the, the big part of my board is, yeah, made from, from that material. And then when it came to sourcing the timber, which I use on the outside, I was, um, originally I was using an, an imported Italian product, but I was really keen, um, to find something that was locally grown just to try and um, reduce the amount of travel costs that was involved. Mm. And so, I mean, Lightning Lab was the first time ever in my life that I've had time and money to like scope out these things. So like, I got, um, I got searching and I found this farm, um, up in, uh, 
he's in Tewamutu, which is in the Waikato. And uh, his name's Graham Smith. He, he's got a little dairy farm there and he grows polonia trees, which is a, a really light, uh, but super strong timber. It's the next, second lightest timber to balsa wood. Mm-hmm. It's kind of similar in, uh, in color and, um, yeah, in grain, but it's a little bit, a little bit heavier and stronger. And, um, he grows his trees in such a way, uh, on the farm where, um, basically they're in rows 10 meters apart across a field. And the cows are um, allowed to roam in between the trees. And what that means is uh, there's a little stream next to his um, his farm, which is apparently a really good trout fishing uh, river, which I need to check out next time I'm up there. <laughs> yeah. um, and what the trees do is they actually um, capture all the cow shit and stop it from getting into the stream. And it also fertilizes the trees and helps them grow faster. So, I mean, like if, the, um, if we're looking at two of the biggest problems in New Zealand of um, – environmental problems we've got you know landfills filling up and you know polluting uh the earth and the the waterways around here and then the cow shit getting into the stream and polluting that and so essentially my two biggest components are actually like good for the environment they're they're, there the only reason they're produced is um well in the case of the timber you know the, the reason that he keeps growing the trees is and is because people let me buy it to make the surfboards and they solve an environmental problem at the production mm-hmm. end as well. And then the polystyrene, you know, um, yeah, so that's quite good. And then, um, there's other components involved as well. Obviously there's some, um, fiber, which I'm looking at trying to find an alternative. Um, I use a negra fiber because of its strength and weight, but I, I'm really keen to try and find, um, some hemp or flax fiber. Uh, and then I use this bioresin, which comes from America. Uh, it's called Entropy One. Um, and it's like a really high bio content, uh, uh, epoxy. And it's made using, uh, I believe it's made using like sap. Okay. And waste chemicals from other, um, chemical manufacturing industries. Uh, see, so yeah, it's, we're getting, yeah, getting these boards right down there on the carbon yeah. footprint. Yeah. And kind of continually refining with some of the products that you're, that you're yeah. using as well obviously every time i sub something out everything changes mm-hmm. uh flex strength you know weight so i'm constant it's like a it's a you know constant constant reiterative process yeah yeah and everything has to be really calculated and thought through because if i um i mean the most important part of making a sustainable surfboard is making a surfboard that lasts a long time. If they only last three months, then they're not sustainable at all, you know, because um, there's there's power and um, stuff that goes into producing them, obviously. Um, so I've got to always, you know, put that at, at the at the at the front of the priority list, and then um, you know make sure that I'm meeting that criteria before I do something crazy on the material side of things. Mm. It's yeah, that's that's awesome, and the the process. I mean, it sounds like it's just kind of continuously evolving. How many how many boards have you produced now? Uh, must be pushing somewhere in the sort of fifty mark. I've only really been producing them full time f- for two months, two or three months. Okay, and yeah. then I was doing this in my spare time previously, so not a huge volume. Uh, but we'll get there. And as I as I improve my processes, that will improve my increase my capacity, and I can start looking at options of supplying the retailers and stuff mm. whereas at the moment i just deal directly with the customers and yeah and how many like if you were if you were building a board what sort of time frame would that take you at the moment um oh, i have a few i, I can make a board and um and shape it in a day um but uh there's obviously a lot of drying and stuff that goes into the epoxy work and everything um but usually my lead time is about three weeks for customers um depending on how busy i am um, yeah, that's, uh, and I also like to batch things together and try and like do a day where I just make the decks or do a day where I just cut the blanks. And, and so I usually try and collate about three, three or four borders, boards into one batch and then produce yeah. them as a batch. Yeah. And batching, I mean, batching things is, uh, the, your efficiency levels go, yeah. go just through the roof with that. Exactly. Do you use that in other aspects of your life as well? The, that batching, uh, <laughs> we tried to, um, me and my girlfriend tried to, um, make dinner for the week, uh, a couple of Sundays ago, but we didn't. Yeah. So we made, um, like a curry, uh, we made this noodle dish and a pie or something on a Sunday. 
but um, and then we put them all in little compartments in little containers and put them in the freezer. But I don't know if it was the choice of dishes or uh, the freezer, but yeah, they were gross. <laughs> so we tr- I've, I've tried it, but it doesn't really work with food. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it might be. Uh, yeah, you might need to need to try some different dishes with that. Um, yeah. Excellent. I've lost my train of thought on that. Oh, sorry. After, no, no, no. That's all right. It was my fault for asking. That um, I don't know if I cut this bit out. Actually, it's often interesting. People just having a uh, having a listen to us rambling. Um, oh, damn it! I did have a good question. I don't know. That's all right. Come back to it. Come back to it. So, Jack, I mean, you've you've been going full time for about two months now. What what big challenges have you faced in those two months? Uh, oh, everything. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, obviously, it's, it's, I mean, this, doing going from having a full time um, job to going, to, you know, doing a, pursuing a passion project as your career, it changes the dynamic a lot. You know, you've um, you've really got to be, you know, thinking very hard about how, you know where your money's coming from and mm. the biggest challenge we had was our cnc machine breaking down uh and that sort of put me back a few few weeks with the orders yeah. and for those people that don't know what is a cnc machine oh right so all just that, a brief rundown yeah cnc stands for computer numerical control and it's basically a machine which um you can control you can tell to cut components out of um so uh, of materials so all our components are designed inside a 3d cad software which is uh, on the computer uh, where you design the, the shapes and then they get cut on that machine and then glued together in another machine. <laughs> yeah. Um, until they, before they're, they're hand shaped. But, um, oh yeah, they definitely, um, it's, it definitely changes going from, um, doing something for fun to doing it for work definitely changes the, um, your, your headspace around it a lot. And you've got to, uh, yeah, really just knuckle down and start thinking about the finance, the financials and, um, balancing up you know your time and, and trying to like yeah. uh, juggle a lot of balls and yeah. but uh none that like I, i'm really enjoying it so far it's been yeah it's been good yeah definitely cool. so that that change in mindset you need the the strategy uh, to strategize a little bit more but also yeah. kind of apply some sort of day-to-day tactics that you use to to approach things yep how how did you approach the decision to go from a, a job to pursuing this i guess it's like having a kid they say you know like there's never a right you're never ready you know there's never a good time to do it i'm approaching 30 now and i um i wanted like my goal was always to have like a um a, a good job that i loved by the time i was 30 and i i i guess i put um associated the surfboard production with that you know mm-hmm. that would be like my kind of dream job so i thought well i'll give it a go you know and um and uh, at, at least if you know it doesn't work out, then I know I've tried. I'm just trying to put everything I can into it, time, money wise, to to you know try and make it work. Yeah, uh, it is a bit of a, um, a a sort of fantasy job, eh? Making surfboards for the rest of your life, but we'll see. There's guys who do it. Um, and I've, I think my process is, you know, quite unique. And I think um, New Zealanders are uh, inherently, you know, quite concerned with the environment, so. Uh, hopefully these, you know, the, the materials and the process that goes into making these boards resonates with New Zealand surfers, and we can make something, make something happen. Yeah, I mean, from from my point of view, it definitely sounds like it. Uh, it, it will resonate really well with with so many people throughout New Zealand, especially the surfing community. Now you've you've given a couple of uh, answers to this this next question already, but. What makes you think you can pull this off? Uh, I guess um, if if I can't do it, uh, then I don't I don't know who could. Like the amount of all the weird and wacky skills that I learnt doing all that diverse making stuff, um, I've, I'm putting everything into this. Like everything I know, everything's been relevant. It's almost sometimes feels like that uh, Slumdog Millionaire scenario. Yeah, yeah. You know, like. I'll do something. I go like, "Oh, that's that's funny that I have the tool or the 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 know how of how to do that." Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I don't, to be honest, I don't know if I can pull it off. <laughs> yeah, the truth. Yeah, but, does that scare you a bit? Yeah, it does. Yeah, um, and I also don't think I'm very employable either because I'm working <laughs> for myself for so long. 
Yeah. So I don't really know um, what the backup plan is, but uh, we'll see. <laughs> cool. No, it's, it's all good. Um, mate, where do you want to take this? Uh, so the, the goal is, so like, I've put just as much effort into making surfboards as I have to developing a process for making these surfboards. And I don't think in my lifetime I will ever kind of like uh, be able to make enough boards to justify the amount of work I've put into this process in this machine that I've built. So what I want to do is I want to, um, and I also think that it, um, the the built machine that I built could um, help other, other countries all around the world. You know, other shapers all around the world make better surfboards. So I'm gonna um, I'm in the final stages now of finishing off this final final prototype of uh, my my vacuum press. Which is basically like a another um, computer-controlled machine, which I use to glue all the compo- components together of the um, of the surfboards, and I'm going to start selling that overseas, and license the um, production of well, it can be used to make the the boards that I make, which are the wooden um, shell, the wooden exterior EPS core, it can also be used to make um, cork or um, uh, high-density PVC boards, which is another kind of um, uh, construction method uh and yeah i'm gonna so i'm gonna try and sell those those machines around the world uh to other shapers and um provide all the tools and the training that they need to produce the alternative construction circles that i've been developing here um and then you know just continue you know my day-to-day will just be making surfboards and then um Make a machine, make some surfboards, make a machine. It's kind of the, the dream. Cool. So kind of like a two-pronged attack, but also in kind of a, a teaching role for, for other people as well. Exactly, yeah. I mean, there's um, there's so many amazingly talented shapers around the world, uh, but um, they probably wouldn't necessarily have the skills uh, to figure out how to do this sort of stuff just because they've just spent, spent their whole life making surfboards but the, um, the old-fashioned way. Um but I think they'd pick it up so easily, like, and, and they'd be able to make stronger, lighter, um, more environmentally friendly surfboards uh, with a bit of, you know, guidance and, and the right equipment. And yeah, I guess that's kind of what I'm going to do. And I'm also, I also get lots of inquiries to send boards around the world, but it doesn't really, I can't, because I put so much effort into localizing everything that I do here, material supply wise, like I try and get everything within like the smallest, um, perimeter I, you know, I can. It feels weird to like post them around the world. So I think what I'd like to do is try and just focus my, um, board making energy onto, uh, making boards for New Zealand surfers. And if someone approaches me from overseas, I can, you know, refer them to someone close to them who has one of the machines and I can set them up with, you know, with them so that I'm never, I'm only ever sent, selling tools. I'm not selling, you know, boards all around mm. the world and keep that carbon footprint real small. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. That's very cool. Is there anyone else in the world that is doing anything similar to to you at the moment, or making similar boards? So yeah, so there's um one of the like the leaders in um the alternative construction is Firewire, and they're um an American company, and their production facilities are in Thailand. And the way that they operate is they um they produce boards like fix, they have fixed shapes and sizes, and then they send them all around the world. Um, I haven't seen inside their facilities but i'm pretty sure they have a mold for every board they make mm-hmm. the hard part when you um take these ultralight foam um and the high density skins and try and glue them all together is that in that gluing process the um, high density exterior materials will supersede the form of the low density core material so your board will end up um could end up flat or it could twist or it could buckle um the common way of doing it is inside a vacuum bag and then uh, you kind of create a jig that you um, put the board on and that maintains the shape. Um, the problem is that every shape and size needs its own jig. So that's where I've sort of developed this machine for, which is a reconfigurable mold. So it's a, um, a movable jig. Yeah, know, reconfigurable so it's a jig. really unique way of approaching this problem. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So what all it means is that, I can, that guys can make all those... Um, crazy out there construction methods um but they can do one-off custom shapes which is what surfers want you know like mm. um the guys who are um you know like really good surfers that an inch here and a, a millimeter there and like all these tiny little differences across the board makes you know such a difference for them um so they'll often be uh limited to the um 
you know they they won't be able to won't often always be able to find the shape and the size that they want in the in the shell in the racks at the at the um, surf shop. So that's why they go down and see their local shaper and get him to make them something tailored for them. Um, but the problem is the local shaper hasn't got the facilities to make the alternative constructions. He only has the capacity to do the traditional PU polyester resin um, boards. So I'm, I'd love to sell this machine to those little guys, you know, those small mm. shapers um, all around the world, little like one, two, three man bands, um, and then like, enable them to do these, you know, wacky yeah. alternative sandwich construction boards. Do you see that, like, the style of board, uh, kind of coming onto the, the pro circuit at some point? Well, um, it'd be, I, I think, I'm my boards probably are a little bit too stiff and too heavy for the pro surfers. Mm-hmm. I am working on some ideas at the moment, um, which I can't talk about, which I think will get them, like, to the point where they could potentially have the characteristics required. Um, but, I mean, to be honest, like, uh, I mean, the, the guys, the, the pros will always probably ride the uh, ultra light. Um, and the, the, so, yeah, the, the way that their builds, boards are built is that they make them stupidly light um, and really weak, which gives them lots of flex. Mm. Um, but it doesn't matter because they get, they don't pay for them and like the exposure and everything's amazing. Guys, they don't really put a lot of effort into their, um, the strength of them. So it doesn't, and it doesn't matter if they use, you know, three or four boards in a, t- in a tour, you know. Snap. But I, um, so I don't think I'll ever try and get the boards. I mean, if, if someone had hit me up, I'd happily supply <laughs> yeah. them. But, um, yeah, I'm trying to get them into the hands of the guys, the, um, recreational surfers who are, you know, good surfers. I mean, the boards go great. Mm. Um, but, uh, you know, the guys who don't want to spend, um, $3,000 a year on surfboards, they just want to buy one board that will last them, you know, five years, uh, you know, hopefully longer. And then, um, they can actually start to, if they want, a, you know, a load of different boards, they can start to, um, acquire a bit of a quiver of different shapes and stuff instead of just having a couple of boards that, uh, you know, constantly breaking and getting replaced with other, you know, shapes. Um, so yeah, whilst it would be good to get to that point where they were good enough, they'd, um, yeah, I'm sort of more focused on the recreational kind of side of things. Yeah. Cool. Jack, is there anything, I mean, but is there anything that we haven't talked about in regards to the boards or to your journey or the or the process so far that you you want to talk about? Um, I think it pretty much covers most of the stuff. I mean, like I'm what I'm kind of interested in is at the moment I'm really excited about this idea of um, trying to like get this um, surfboard model going going well. Hey, Devin, how are you? Um, and, and prove that, you know, like you can, you can license the production of, of boards overseas using, you know, if you sell them tools instead of selling the products overseas and then trying to figure out what other, um, industries it can apply for. So I'm also thinking like this, the, the same technology that goes into making this machine could quite easily be applied to making skis and snowboards, you know, what, where else can it, can it go? So that's kind of like, I'm not investing any time in that at the moment, but I'm starting to think a little bit around, you know, how else can, what other, what other um, industries can can we apply this kind of idea of reconfigurable molding to? So, um, I mean, at the moment, like everything's pretty much made in China, plastic wise. That's the, for the reason that the labor's cheap, you know. And when they build a, a mold or a tool to make a com- particular component, they um, they just spit the um, you know they spit out millions of that component and send them all around the world. Why don't they just make um, twenty tools and then send that to you know? All the, all the countries around the world where they're going to sell that product and then license the production to that particular place. You know? I'm trying to figure, yeah, figure out industries where it's financially viable to do that. Um, but I guess that's kind of yeah, down the track. That's where I wanted to invest my life, I think. Yeah, cool. Uh, no, that sounds that sounds very exciting. And I mean, it sounds like the stuff that you're wanting to kind of move into with this is going to excite you for or keep you curious about it for quite some time. Hopefully. Actually, which is <laughs> which is great. I mean, there's a, a lot of ways that you can you can go with it. Now, Jack, I want to ask you a couple of questions that I ask everyone. Yep. Um, and I haven't sent these through to you, so uh, these are these will be off the cuff. <laughs> but can you tell me about a time that you've failed and what you learned from it? Yep. Uh, there's been lots of failures with the whole surfboard development stuff. The worst one. Uh, so I was doing, I was in the lightning lab program and, um, we had this friend, uh, his name's Tamron, really good surfer. 
Uh, and, um, I always sort of, he sort of kept an eye on the, my progress and, um, and sort of, you know, saw the boards I was making and was kind of keen to, um, ride one at some point. So I said, okay, I'll make, I'm doing this program. I need to, um, try to get some photos of a good surfer riding one. Um, I'll make you a board and, you know, you can keep it and we'll, you know, take it out and do some testing. And then so, uh, he drove all the way down. I made, I made this board. He drove all the way, ta- all the way down from, uh, I think he was living in Taranaki at the time. To test it out on the specific, specific day. We timed it all perfectly, got to the spot. It's, um, like an hour drive, then a half hour walk. Um, got out there and, um, took the board out in the water. Um, it was in my old hollow construction method, which I had never really tested with good surfers. Um, and, uh, he, he rode it for about 15 minutes. Um, and it was going really good. Everything was awesome. I was just smile from ear to ear. And then I thought, okay, I'll, I'll set up the camera now. He's getting the hang of it. I'll, you know, I'll get, start getting some footage. And just as I got, um, got the camera out, started taking photos, he, um, he put his foot through the, the top deck oh, no. <laughs> on, a, on a big turn. And, oh, it was just so devastating. You know, it was, everything was just going so well. Like it couldn't, like the day couldn't have panned out better. The, the swell was amazing. And, uh, yes, that was pretty heartbreaking. <laughs> yeah. And that was you kind of just went back to went back to the drawing board with that and yeah. Uh, well, um, the challenge, the problem with the hollow stuff is that you end up with really really strong points, and then it, these big gaps of of weak points, mm-hmm. uh, which is uh, not good. Yeah. Uh, so that's where I started using the EPS um, because you can you end up with a consistent the uh, medium strength material. Yeah. Cool. No, it sounds like a good failure to have, actually. At that point, yeah. At that point in time, yeah. Jack, what was the last uncomfortable thing that you did, and how did you get through it? Uh, well, I'm actually, like, I'm always, ever since that first experience, I'm always quite nervous when I get good surfers riding the boards. Um, so we had we did some more filming, again, maybe six weeks ago at Lyle Bay with this really good surfer from South Africa. And, um, I got in the water as well on one of my boards and we had, this time we had like, uh, three photographers, <laughs> like uh, two in water photographers, uh, three in water photographers and a land photographer, like full on filming operation. And then, so my heart was just racing cause I was just, <laughs> I was like deja vu, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Here we go again. Uh, but nothing, the board was great. Uh, and, um, since then he's, he's taken it pretty much from what I gather all around the country, um, surfed it heaps, thrashed it, and it's been going really good for him. So I think I'm starting to get to the point where like, I no longer have, uh, that sort of fear anymore, yeah. which is nice. Yeah. Um, there was a, um, obviously there was a bit of anxiety there, but beforehand, oh, but yeah. you, did you kind of, uh, have any way that you approached that or you just thought, this is something that's got to happen. Yeah. This has got to do it. Well, that's it. You know, like it's like, okay, if, it, if this, if this one breaks then you know, I'm, I'm not doing my job, you know, like I, that, that's the, re- that's the kind of, um, I think attitude that you need to, you need to take, like you can't get, um, mad or, uh, you know, angry at any, anything. You just have to be, uh, you have to t- treat those as like learning lessons and, and go back to the drawing board really. And it's the same with, you know, developing anything, product, software, um, now, whatever you decide that you want to create the challenge the problem with a, the a software compared to a product is that uh if you make a product and it breaks then you know you put chances are you may you might be able to re- repair it but chances are you might have to replace it whereas with a software you can just uh work real late and um and and rewrite the code and then um yeah release a new, an update the next day and and you you know yeah, it's almost the kind of the attitude of of treating it all as a bit of an experiment and exactly. you know, just kind of learning and, and evolving with it. Exactly, and you soon learn. Um, well, actually, not soon learn. I think it takes time. But uh, being self employed is there's no like um, short path to success. Like, cause if you decide to go into that self employment game, it's you know you're taking a very long, very long, uh, drawn out road, mm. um, and it's quite. I think when I, in my early days, when I had a failure of that magnitude, I would get really pissed off and get, you know, real angry and, um, you know, just think, oh, you know, this, I'm going to throw it all in and <laughs> this is a, a horrible 
But then, you know, when you start to think long term, when you start to think like five years, 10 years, mm-hmm. um, it makes those little incidents seem a lot less significant. Yeah, significant. Do you remember how you worked up to that point from being pissed off to actually think, looking at it, hey, this is, this is just something that's happened. This is something that I can move past and use it as a lesson. Yeah, I think that's, that's pretty much it. You got to go, okay, well, I either learn this now or I learn this, you know, in, um, three months time, once I've sold 10 boards and the boards are, you know, breaking all around the country, you know, they mm. for me, it was, um, I, I was, um, yeah, I was gutted, but I, uh, just a second, sorry, mate. Um, she's going to hate that. I, hate <laughs> I, say, I send her the, sorry, I can't talk right now. Oh, no. She just goes, but uh, I did tell her I was doing a podcast. Sorry about that. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, like you gotta go, okay, this is shit, but if, I, if this didn't happen, then what would have happened? You know, and more often than not, I think the, um, you know, like the, the reality of learning that lesson then and there is a lot better than learning it, you know, further down the track. Mm. Um, so. Yeah, and I mean that's a, it is a massive challenge as well because it's easy to be pissed off, but it's hard to actually kind of sit down and analyze what went wrong and then kind of go on and uh, yeah and sort of work through it. Um, yeah, yeah. So I think much- the, other, the other thing worth mentioning, I, I guess, like um, I've I've sort of made the decision to um, pursue this particular project um, so by myself, um, just because I mean. To be honest, there's not enough money to pay someone at the moment, but also like um, until it's at a point where everything's thoroughly tried, tested, tested, the systems aren't in place, I don't think it'd be smart to employ someone else. And then let's say if I had, you know, like if you do go through that R&D stage with someone else on a product like this, which is going to fail, then there's, there's, there's a chance that you'll get, you know, there will always be the other person's fault or, you know, who did you know, this mm-hmm. and stuff. Um so I only have myself to blame when things go wrong. Um, and like, you can be mad at yourself for, you know, <laughs> whatever, but that's not going to be, that's not constructive. You know, it's not constructive to be mad at anyone, for <laughs> but like, you know, the, the best thing to do in a situation like that is just to go, Oh, okay. You know, have a beer and then go back to the drawing board and you know, start the next day fresh and go, okay, why did that happen? What went wrong? How can we fix it? You know, what's the, what are our options? And then, and then you discover something like, you know, I mean, that was what led me to look at polystyrene. The reason I didn't look at polystyrene previously because I knew it was toxic, but then when I found the guy in Porirua who was diverting waste from the landfill, um, that's cheaper, faster to produce, um, makes lighter, stronger boards, you know, and there's always a positive that comes from every negative. Mm. Yeah, that's a great way to look at it. What's the next uncomfortable thing you're going to do and why is that uncomfortable for you? Oh, the next thing will be trying to sell this machine. Uh I'm going to go from working in my own little kind of bubble to talking to hopefully like the idea, I, I think the appeal will be there for all the big, you know, all the big staple manufacturers. I mean, I'd love to sell it to the likes of Firewire, these, you know, these, these big global companies and uh, how awesome would it be if, you know, they, they bought um, one and put it in all their offices around the world and use that to make custom orders of people. I mean, that'd be, that'd be amazing. Um, I've got no kind of, uh, I want, I think in the surfboard industry, like most industries, it's, you know, that, um, rising tides raids all ships kind of thing. Like I just want to work with as many willing and um, enthusiastic people as I can to help them either like clean up their, you know, production or, um, make more money. You know, like the way I make the margins on these boards is so much better than the margins on the other boards because they're all competing with the Chinese and Taiwanese manufacturers, you know, mm. um, like if I can, you know, help these guys out to, you know, um, get everyone's product, making better products that the Chinese can't compete on and, uh, you know, like help them, yeah, make stronger surfboards and, um, and that would be, it'd be amazing. But, um, the uncomfortable part about it is that like these guys are like the gurus of the industry and I'm just this little <laughs> geek in a Wellington, New Zealand who, uh, no one's heard of, um, trying to sell them some equipment, which they probably won't understand. Uh, that's going to be, it's going to be hard. Yeah. But uh, I think video is the key. Yeah. It sounds like a, a cool challenge to have though. Yeah. Uh, Jack, I've got two more questions for you, mate, but 
before I ask him, I just want to say thanks very much for uh, inviting me in today, showing me around the workshop and of uh, kind of sitting down and, and having a chat with it, but also for making the world a little bit more uh, sustainable as well and kind of putting your your ideas and your curiosity into action and, and being a bit of an example of, of that as well. So, oh, thank yeah, you. thanks for that, thanks, mate. Thanks very much. First question for you is easy, Jack. If people want to follow along with the stuff that you're doing to support you or even get their own board, uh, where should they go? Also, that I uh, am quite proactive on Instagram. Um, most of the stuff I do is quite visual, so I post lots of pictures on there. And then uh, organicdynamic.co.nz or .com, either or, has um, all our, the boards that we sell and um, a little bit of information about the shaping workshops that we run, uh, so they can visit Cool. Is it those two Your places? Your organic dynamic on Instagram as well? Yep. 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 Perfect. And there's a, there's a Facebook, but that is just set up to get the, the things from Instagram. So <laughs> <The> Instagram <laughs> photos just go there. Yeah, cool. Um, awesome. I'll pop some links to that in the notes for the show as well. So cool. people can check that out as well. Thanks, Jack, last question for you, mate. Before we finish up, do you have any advice or life lessons or interesting facts to leave us with? Um, oh, I, I guess... Um, I can only kind of, you know, give advice on the things that I've done. But if anyone's thinking about going into producing a product, uh, I reckon, yeah, the key is to try and like get that product as I think that like uh, a lot of the advice that you hear these days is based around um, the tech and the software companies. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of that isn't actually quite that applicable to products. Uh, so I would say that if you're, you know, looking at the um, product sector, uh, and manufacturing in particular to, you know, take everything you hear from the tech sort of, um, advice with a grain of salt. You know, a lot of it is, you can, you know, relevant, but, um, with the products, you, you know, the minimum viable product kind of thing doesn't always work, you know, especially if you've got tooling costs. So just, uh, if you're looking at, you know, you've got a product idea and you're looking at, um, going into manufacturing it, just get it perfect before you quit your job, <laughs> you know, get it, you know, take your time, don't rush it, test it, like, you know, refine it, show your friends, you know, and it's just a long, slow game. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Awesome. Jack, thank you very much for getting uncomfortable with me today. Oh, of course. I hope you guys enjoyed the birthday episode today and you got something interesting out of Jack and my chat. Uh, Jack is a a fascinating guy doing some pretty cool stuff with surfboards at the moment. So make sure that you pop over, check Organic Dynamic out online. Uh, And if you're in Wellington, definitely head along uh, and and check him out. It's, It's a pretty cool idea, pretty cool spot that he's got. So thanks again for listening today. Thank you if you have listened to all the episodes so far. If you haven't, then go back and catch a couple. There are some really, really cool ones in there with some fantastic people. If you want to support the show, the best way you can do that is share the episode out with some people so that they can listen too. Uh, I just want to say thank you as well to all the people that have helped me along the way, along this journey, Um, specifically Rich Fortune for all his IT advice, Uh, my brother Jeremy for the fantastic theme music, all the amazing guests that have popped onto the show so far, Uh, and also to my wife Julia for her support as well. So thanks for tuning in, guys, and thank you very much for getting uncomfortable with me and Jack today. Thank you.